0: Well, hey, I'm tired of mediocrity. How about you? I'm real tired of mediocrity. Um, You say, what is mediocrity? It's one of those words that we sometimes talk about. Um, Plain vanilla. I love that one. Um, Ordinary. Nothing to write home about. Okay. Lackluster. Indifferent. Forgettable. Uh, all kinds of words that, that talk about mediocrity. I, I came across as I was studying this week and, and thinking through the book of Ephesians and the way Paul ends with the whole teaching on the Christian armor um, that Paul was really standing and teaching and preaching against mediocrity. And and as I studied, it, I I came across this little sketch. It was there, and I thought, wow. Now now this is the idea of mediocrity. It comes from the Latin word medius, meaning middle, and ocrus, meaning rugged mountain. And I thought, wait a minute, this can't be true. But it is. And uh, as you think about it, so what does that mean? Literally translated, it means to settle halfway to the summit of a difficult mountain. It's like you start up, you, you probably have read about or seen, I think there are TV shows, some movies out about people who climb some of the biggest mountains in the world, Mount Everest, K2, and all of those, and, and what's involved in that whole process. But imagine these people who would, who would do that, and they get halfway up this rugged mountain, and they're, that, that's good enough. I don't think there's anybody that would start climbing Mount Everest and get halfway up unless they were sick or injured or something else uh, that the weather wouldn't allow them that would just say, oh, that's good enough. I think I've, I've made it. But that's the idea, to settle halfway to the summit of a difficult mountain. It's a compromise of abilities and potential. In other words, the ability was there, the potential, but it's like somewhere in the middle. uh, It's a negotiation between the drive to excel and the biological urge to settle for the most comfortable option. I read that biological urge to settle for the most comfortable option, and I thought, you know what that is? That's sin. If there is a biological urge to settle for the most comfortable option, rather than taking it on, I'd say it would be a sinful urge to settle rather than to go all the way. And spiritually speaking, we would say certainly in life this is true. In fact, I came across this anonymous quote. You know anonymous? I don't know who that guy is, but he makes a lot of statements, you know? And uh, don't waste your life. No one chooses mediocrity, but many settle for it. And you know what? That's true spiritually. I'd never thought about spiritual mediocrity, but I think that's one of the things that Paul is addressing in his book spiritual mediocrity. We settle for mediocre Christian living. And that's one of Paul's concerns as he talks to followers of Jesus in the church at Ephesus. Paul's in prison. When he's writing this book He's in prison for no other reason That he did not live a mediocre Christian life He was bold He was up front He wasn't afraid He just stood and lived his life for God and, and, and as a result was arrested and put in prison He wasn't concerned about mediocrity But as we think about that God has given us. Paul said in the beginning, chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians, he said that that, um, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. A couple weeks ago when we started this series, we talked about how that God has given us. Peter says in chapter 1 of his first letter, chapter 1, verse 3, that we have been given all. All that we need for life and godliness. Why would we settle for less? Why would we settle for half way up the mountain? Paul challenged the believers there in chapter 4 and verse 17. He said, don't live like the Gentiles do. What he meant was don't live as if you don't know Jesus. Don't live like someone who doesn't know God. Don't live like someone who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus. Because he's talking to a group of people that have a church of people who know Jesus. He's saying, don't live as if you don't know Jesus. Don't live a mediocre Christian life. Don't settle for spiritual mediocrity. And that's why Paul finished his challenge to the church there when he says in verse 10, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That is a formula for overcoming mediocre Christian living which is a plague of the church today. Paul tells the church as a whole and each of us as he moves on to verse 11 and he's talking about, he said, put on. Now, really, literally, it's you, you plural, you the church, you believers, you put on. All of you as God's people put on the full armor of God. Why? So that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Listen, one of the devil's schemes is mediocrity. Because you know most people who are living mediocre Christian lives would never admit it. They may not even know it. There has to be an awareness of something missing when we are not getting a hold of all the spiritual blessings that we've been given in Christ. There must be something why, wrong when, when, as Peter says, we've been given all that we need for life and godliness, and we're not experiencing that. Something's missing. That's mediocre Christian living. There's got to be an awareness of that. And the devil's out to scheme is to get us to settle for anything less than all that God has promised, anything less than the abundant Christian life. Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 10 said, I have come that you might have life, eternal life, but not just eternal life, life to the full, life more abundantly, life overflowing. That is what God intended for us. Now that doesn't mean we walk around happy all the time, jumping up and down, raising our hands and smiling at everybody and and all the rest of it. But it means that when even life is hard, there's a personal peace and understanding of the fullness that we have in God because of Jesus Christ so please open your Bibles with me to John Ephesians excuse me Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14 and as the series title buckle up folks because here we go are you ready buckle up because we're going to step into this and we're going to take a look just simply this morning at the belt of truth. The belt of truth. And in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, this is what Paul says. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The first piece of armor That Paul talks about that we need to stand firm against the devil's schemes is the belt of truth. Now what was then that belt of truth? Well, as we would know, you have to understand that Paul was in prison. And he had a Roman soldier right at his side. So what we would believe would be true is that Paul is using that as an object lesson. He's talking about the armor that this soldier who's right there with him probably, as we would understand, 24 hours a day at his side. And the belt of truth is the first piece of armor. It would be what is underneath. It would be, uh, if you can think of a robe, I, I would have brought a bathrobe this morning except I don't own one. I, I, I wear sweats and a and an old long sleeve fleece that are around the house when I get up, that's it, that's my robe. But if you would just think of a robe and if you would just take a big blanket and cut a hole in the middle of it, put it over your head, and then you kind of have it draped. It's like some of those kids, right, running around for Halloween. I don't know if they did that or not last night, but uh, just... And, and, and it's there just kind of draped over them and their heads sticking out of the robe. I mean, you've seen the pictures and, and some of these videos and so forth and, and w- what they look like. Well, it, imagine going to battle with this robe just draped all around you. What was the purpose of the belt? Well, the belt was on. It was underneath that when it was time to go to war. They would grab the rest of that robe and tuck them up under that belt so that the legs were free, that the arms were free to move. And, and that's the idea tucking that robe, those clothes around into that belt so there was now freedom of movement and protection and there would be the leather pieces that would protect the waist and the the thighs and the movement so that there wouldn't be injury there And, and they're ready to go and so what does that belt of truth around the waist of the Roman soldier represent in our battle with the devil? Well, the idea indicates preparation for battle, for vigorous activity because you couldn't be running hard or fighting well all wrapped up in a robe. You'd get twisted up and you would, your movement would be limited. So once that's all tucked in and you're ready to go, you are ready for battle. Paul talks about the truth, the belt of truth the truth that anchors all of the rest of the armor, the truth that is at the very center of what we believe, the revealed truth that every Christian, anyone who knows Jesus has to, to put their faith and trust in the truth of the gospel, that Jesus died in our place for our sins. Do you believe that today? Because if you do, you have your life founded on the truth. But it's more than just that truth, the truth of the gospel, of what God taught, of what God did when he sent his son Jesus. It's more than just believing. It is the Christian's own truthfulness. It is as we grab hold of that truth that we live it out. We live it with integrity. Why? Because we say we believe it. The question is, do we live it? So yes, the truth is there. We've grabbed hold of the gospel. We've put our faith in Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins. And we're forgiven. Now we live on a daily basis. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. To remind us of what Jesus did. That when we stand there ready to go, the truth of the gospel is that we've been forgiven. That we can do battle with Satan. In fact, we will have to because we're told, we saw already, that we will have to face his schemes and all that he wants to do to keep us from being effective for him. Listen, This idea of the belt of truth is indicating a lifestyle that reflects the truth of the gospel in our lives. A lifestyle that reflects the truth of the gospel. That shows this is someone who has received the gospel, who believes it, and who is living it out in their life on a regular, daily basis. It has to do with faithfulness in living what we say we believe. In integrity, in being that individual, even when nobody else is around, that shows by their right living, they believe the gospel. You see, the devil's a liar, right? We saw that a couple of weeks ago. John 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, Jesus said to some of those who were there, didn't know him. The devil is a father of lies. He's going to do everything he can to get us caught up in his untruth. But a believer whose life reflects the truth, whose life is controlled by the truth of the gospel, will defeat the devil. Why? Because he's got that belt of truth holding together the armor that he's wearing. One writer put it this way. A man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy without fear. Man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy without fear. Do you have the truth in your life? And are you living it in your daily activity? That's what's important. You see, here it is. So, what do we do with that truth? Well, I would say this we need to be honest in our response to the truth. The belt of truth is representing truthfulness in our lives, that we live what we say we believe. And what that means is we need to be honest in our response to that truth of the gospel. We need to live out what we say we believe. Paul had already challenged the believers back in chapter uh, four and verse 17, Ephesians. He said this, that they were not to live as the Gentiles do. I mentioned that earlier. He said, don't do that. Some of them obviously were. For some, there was no difference between those who knew God and didn't live like it and those who did, right? And Paul's saying, you can't live like the Gentiles. You've accepted the truth. You've received the gospel. You need to live like it. And then he goes on in verse 20 of chapter 4, Ephesians, and he says that, however, this is not the way of life you learn. He's talking about living as a Gentile. He says, that's not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He said, you learn differently. Live it differently. And he goes down to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, he says, verse 8 For you were once darkness. You once were a Gentile. You once were an individual without God. He says, But now, now that you believed, you are light in the Lord. And what's the challenge? Live as children of light and find out. Let me go back to that verse, please. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. You see, if we who were once darkness believe, and they're now called light in the Lord, and we're challenged to live as children of light, if we say that's true, but we're not living as children of light, we're living as if we're still in that darkness, we're living as if we're still a Gentile, then what difference is there between us and somebody who doesn't claim that? There's no integrity of life. There's no faithfulness to the truth. There's no honest response to the gospel because an honest response to the gospel requires that we live out the truth in our life. Is that people see the gospel in us when we live our lives. Can I just tell you? I knew when I started preaching through this, I, I, I I was asking for it. I'm just telling you, so last Wednesday, my internet in the house died. Anybody know how frustrating that is when that happens, right? We say, you live by technology, you die by technology. Well, I was ready to die, right? I I mean, it is so irritating. Well, then you call somebody about it, the company, right? I won't badmouth that company because I'm a believer. (laughs) But seriously? Seriously? That's what God told me. You say, he spoke to you? Well, in the word, yeah, right here. I'm studying these verses. And I'm on the phone with somebody who's not getting anywhere, who's not helping. Finally, they say, well, your, your router modem is broken. We'll send you a new one. It'll be there overnight. Didn't come Thursday. So I called them again. Oh, no, if they told you that it would be there Thursday, the, we never do that. And I'm like, well, but that's what they told me. Okay well we'll we'll see what we can do. It came yesterday. Wednesday, Saturday. All right, I got it out of the box. I'm fine. okay. Thank you Lord it's here. Went plugged it in. Doesn't work. I am on the phone with somebody for 30 minutes who has no idea what's going on. Again, the frustration inside. And Finally, they said, well, we'll do the best we can. And, and I said, ma'am, can I speak to a supervisor, please? She said, well, why, why can't you talk to me? I said, because you're not helping me. So we ended that phone call. And, and I was firm. And I don't mean just mad. I, I, I really was working. I was working at this. So then I called the customer service company and was on the phone for an hour and 12 minutes with them. You see, the devil, his schemes, we always think that there's big stuff. Like that our house is going to burn down or our car is going to get wrecked or somebody is going to be deathly ill and how are we going to react to all the big stuff when many times it's just the little internets of your life. And here's what I'm thinking as I'm on the second phone call. If I had the opportunity to meet this person and after our conversation and I told them about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would they believe that I knew what I was talking about by the way I acted? And I can say to you, yes, they would have because this was on my mind. I'm not going to tell you that it's always been that way because it hasn't been. But when I was talking with that lady on the phone, I was like, okay, they are gonna know that I am light in the Lord. And I am gonna live as a child of light. I'm gonna live in a way that pleases God so that if I would ever have to bump into this individual, and I told them that they need Jesus because God loves them, Jesus died for them, And that's the only way they can be, they would want to listen because they wouldn't have seen anything hypocritical or heard anything hypocritical from me on the phone. That's the truthfulness with which Paul says, must keep us strong in the Lord. We must stand, we must live as children of light walking in the light of the Lord. That's the belt of truth. Now we could say a whole lot more and and we'll pick this up next week as we finish that up and then move right into the, the breastplate of righteousness, that which covers our heart, our lungs, our vital organs to protect us from the devil's schemes. But the truthfulness of the gospel as we believe it, the question is, are we living it? Jake, I have the, one of the very last slides, I think, if you can jump to that. Because on, on, I, what I, what I want to ask you this morning is simply this. Um, there you go. Are you settling for spiritual mediocrity? Do you claim to know Jesus as your Savior? Do you claim to be a child of God who has been saved out of darkness, who who now we are to be walking as children of light, we are to live in the light, and if we're not doing that, we're settling for spiritual mediocrity. We've gotten saved, maybe that's halfway up the mountain. Sometimes we think that's the top of the mountain. No, that's the beginning. Because if that was the top of the mountain, God would just take us, take us for home. We'd go to heaven just like that. Why, why, why continue to live on this earth as a believer once we know Jesus, if that's all there is? But there's not. God's given us a purpose and a reason to proclaim the gospel, to know Christ and make him known. And if we are not making him known by the way we live the truth, we say we believe, we're settling for spiritual mediocrity in our lives and the truth has not gripped our hearts you see the response to truth must be that we live that truth every day of our lives so that when we have the opportunity to speak about it it's believable it's believable father It's been an interesting morning. And what we might say have been little interruptions and things haven't gone maybe as smoothly as we would want them in all different ways and and there may have been other other battles along the way that none of us even are aware of in each individual's life and yet God it's life and we who know Jesus, we who say we believe the truth of the gospel Sometimes don't live it. Oh God, help us to buckle up the belt of truth, to wrap it around our waist and to tie up that loose clothing so that we can do battle, we can live the truth. God, would you grip our hearts with the truth that we believe that we would live it out for the glory of God. For it's in Christ's name that I pray.